let's go ahead and get started here. Saturday, August 7th, 2021. It is 12.04 p.m. here in San Diego, California. BK here coming at you guys. The Steel Trap Mind ready to do the two and a half hour monologue. Uh, please follow me on Twitter for breaking news throughout the week. At Bravo Kilo Actual. And be sure to check out my Instagram at BK Actual. No announcements this week, you guys. Let's jump right into our international news. And let's start with Mexico, who is going to sue United States gun companies by accusing them of fueling violence. Yeah, the government there is accusing our gun makers and suppliers of knowingly flooding their market with firearms attractive to drug cartels because for years officials in Mexico have complained that our gun control was responsible for all the bloodshed in Mexico. The balls on these guys. So yeah, they have filed lawsuit as a uh, filed a lawsuit on Wednesday against ten gun companies, and it was filed in federal court in Massachusetts. And it is the first time that a national government has sued gun makers in the United States. Uh, now seventy percent of guns traced in Mexico are found to have come from the United States, which is not much of a surprise since we are a the world's biggest arms dealer. And the government cited as an example three guns made by Colt that appear to directly target a Mexican audience with Spanish nicknames and themes that resonate in Mexico. One of them is a special edition 38 caliber pistol, and it is engraved with the face of the Mexican revolutionary hero Emiliano Zapata and a quote that has been attributed to him. The quote is, quote, it is better to die standing than to live on your knees, end quote. Okay, so that's an example they're using for U.S. marketers, uh, I guess, marketing to Mexicans. Uh, keep in mind, we have many millions and millions of people of Latino descent in the United States, and maybe they are also appealing to them. Uh, that pistol that I just mentioned, that thirty-eight caliber, was used by a gunman in 2017 to kill the Mexican investigative journalist Miroslava Veldusea. And uh, in that case, a member of a group linked to the Sinaloa cartel was convicted of her murder last year. Now, legal experts are saying this is a long shot. First of all, U.S. federal law guarantees gun manufacturers a strong shield against being sued by victims of gun violence. Uh, but some other legal personnel said the lawsuit could lend political support to the strengthening of gun regulations in the United States. And they're, basically, they're saying this is just kind of an attention seeker. Mexico, if you didn't know, does have strict laws regulating the sale and private use of guns. So the cartels down there often arm themselves with those American weapons. Uh, I mentioned the 70% figure of firearms that were traced back to the U.S. That was between the years 2014 and uh, 2018. Now, gun makers will sell to any distributor with a license, and their lawsuit says that these uh, gun uh, these distributors sometimes have red flags indicating that a gun dealer is conspiring with straw purchasers or others to traffic defendants' guns into Mexico. I find that really hard to believe because if you are found to be making a straw purchase, that is, you're buying a rifle for somebody else, you're going to prison. 
in the United States. Like, period, end of story. So I, I would I would question that and ask them to come up with some examples, specific examples on that. But for years, Mexico has been pressing American officials to crack down on the gun smuggling at the border. Smugglers routinely en- enlist Americans with clean criminal records to buy several guns at a time, often from different shops, and then drive the guns across the border. Now, I mentioned on Twitter, and the New York Times story I'm reading from is kind of confirming this, because I mentioned on Twitter, recall from last week that Remington has settled with the Sandy Hook families to the tune of $33 million. And that was all the children who were killed in Sandy Hook by that fucking uh, nut. So I wondered on Twitter if that would not embolden some other lawsuits. And it does appear it kind of has. Because in this story from New York Times, it says Mexican government officials said they had been closely watching several recent U.S. cases involving gun manufacturers, including the lawsuit brought against Remington by families of the children killed in Sandy Hook in 2012. And uh, the steel trap mind was a little bit rusty right now. It's not even in front of me, but I do recall that was Adam Lanza, the psycho who killed all those kids at Sandy Hook. See, you guys, even though sometimes, yes, I had a few drinks last night, but the steel trap mind, although it might need some lubrication from time to time, is still as active as ever. That's not even in front of me. I pulled that out of the recesses of my vast brain. So with this move on Wednesday, Mexico is now expanding the effort to target the gun companies themselves. Um, as far as that settlement from Remington, after it hasn't gone through quite yet, the families are considering it. And this is after legal proceedings that lasted seven years. And these legal people are saying, well, this opens a new path for victims of gun violence to hold manufacturers accountable. The Sandy Hook case, for example, took advantage of an exemption written into the federal law protecting gun makers that allows for litigation against the companies if their marketing practices violate state or federal laws. Now, I don't have that particular case in front of me, so I don't know what practice specifically they violated. Again, this is a settlement offer. So... It's really doubtful, though, whether the Mexican government can convince this Massachusetts court that gun makers had knowingly facilitated the sale of firearms to cartels. Uh, Selling to retailers who may have links to criminal groups isn't necessarily a crime because you can say, like, well, I didn't know. And it's going to be here. Yeah, here. Here's what here's what I was just talking about. It's going to be difficult to show the companies that put Mexican icons on their guns are trying to appeal to cartel hitmen. Yeah, I mean, why, you know, it's perfectly legal to have Mexican revolutionary heroes on your guns. Um, so they do say that American gun laws have links to the ebb and flow of violence in Mexico because when the U.S. assault weapons ban ended in 2004, uh, they said the killings in Mexico started to rise. Anything else in here? I did read another story that was interesting. You know what the big weapon of choice and a very much a status symbol among the cartels is? Is the Barrett, the 50 cal Barrett rifle. That's considered like a huge status symbol among the cartels. Like, you know, it's like any chump can have some AR rifle or AK 47. But when you have the Barrett, the big boy, 
And if you want to see what a Barrett looks like, you can go to my Instagram. There's a I took a small video of me shooting one standing like an idiot. But the uh, Barrett is the big. That's the big one. That's the thing that's going to punch holes through armored windshields and stuff like that. And they have been used on police before in Mexico. So as far as the companies named in this suit, uh, we've got uh, Smith and Wesson, Barrett. There they are. Uh, Beretta, um, Colt, Glock. Ruger, and then uh, a few others. So they think that uh, Mexico's foreign ministry wants U.S. gun makers to be more responsible. So it's probably going nowhere, but we'll uh, keep an eye on it. I know a lot of you guys are Second Amendment people, so I'll watch that one closely. Now, speaking of Mexico, they did have this story here about the Mexican city of Fresnillo. Why is Fresnillo, Mexico, uh, relevant? Well, this is the highest percentage of any city in Mexico where the people feel unsafe. They said 96% of residents in Fresnillo, which is a mining town in central Mexico, feel unsafe, according to a recent survey from Mexicans, Mexico's National Statistics Agency. Uh, it's a city of 140,000 people. But murder statistics in this city have just uh, been through the roof. Now, the state uh, that Fresnillo is in is Zacatecas. That has the highest murder rate in the country. They had 122 deaths in June alone. I'm assuming when they write deaths, I'm assuming those are, they should have probably written murders there. And this town has become like a national horror show. They have bodies dangling from bridges stuffed into plastic bags tied to a cross. You guys know by now the cartels are very open about displaying their corpses because they want to send a message. So across Mexico, murders have dropped less than 1% since Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO, took office. And he famously vowed to stop the violence. Well, it's, it hasn't been that... It hasn't been that successful, but he's even taking this 1% drop to see, like, see, it's working. Uh, so pretty interesting. So avoid that city at all costs. <laughs> and what else do I have? Let's move on. Let's go to Iraq. And Iraq has reclaimed 17,000 looted artifacts. This is its biggest ever repatriation. Uh, these archaeological artifacts were returned by a prominent museum in an Ivy League university, and this week, plywood crates holding thousands of clay tablets from pl uh, places like Mesopotamia, that is the site of the world's earliest civilizations, landed back in to Iraq. Now, the institution that held about 12,000 of these items was the Museum of the Bible. That is a four-year-old Washington museum founded and funded by the Christian evangelical family that owns the Hobby Lobby craft store chain. And the addition of these artifacts was intended to provide context for Old Testament events. And you remember the Hobby Lobby case. Four years ago, the U.S. Department of Justice fined them $3 million for failing to exercise due diligence in their acquisitions of more than 5,000 artifacts, and some of those same ones were among those returned last week to Iraq. The Ivy League University in question was Cornell University, and more than 5,000 of the other pieces did come from that university. 
That collection uh, was donated to the university in two in the year two thousand by an American collector, and it included uh, artifacts from the previously unknown Sumerian city of Garsana. Now. They've had, this is like underscoring a big problem in some of these countries where they had, you know, they've had many decades of antiquities looting. For example, when government forces lost control of parts of southern Iraq in 1991, right after the first Gulf War, widespread looting occurred at various archaeological sites. And it continued amid a security vacuum after the 2003 Iraq war, after we invaded, because there was nobody around to stop anything. Many of the returned clay tablets and seals are from Irisagrig, a lost ancient city. That city's existence became known only when tablets mentioning it were seized at the Jordanian border in the year 2003. Southern Iraq, if you didn't know, is part of ancient Mesopotamia, and it contains thousands of unexcavated archaeological sites between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers where the world's first known civilizations began. Babylon and the city of Ur, the reputed birthplace of the prophet Abraham, flourished there, and that is where the first examples of writing, astronomy, and law originated. I I know some of you guys aren't, I know this isn't exactly news, but I, I'm. you guys know I love the archaeological shit. So Hobby Lobby's batch of repatriated objects does not include what had been the best known of its holdings from Mesopotamia, which is a clay tablet fragment roughly 3,500 years old inscribed with a fragment of the Gilgamesh epic. That is an ancient saga with similarities to stories of the Great Flood and the Garden of Eden. Of course, you can find those in the Old Testament. Uh, the Justice Department seized that tablet in 2019. So, interesting. Uh, you know, it's fascinating. I There is some great stuff. I think I might have mentioned this on a podcast once before, but when I was contracting in Iraq, I had uh, the opportunity to go to the Baghdad Museum. Uh, on a, on one of our missions, and I was able to actually walk around a little bit, and it was crazy. This the stuff that they had. They had these massive, um, you know, tablets the size of entire walls that were you know marked in like the cuneiform language, you know, the wedge shaped language, and all that, and just uh, just really just ancient stuff. We're talking like thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. So um, I was always fascinated with the archaeological stuff. Of course, birthplace of civilization, you know, you can fucking kick a rock over and find shit over there. Now, as far as Hobby Lobby, their president, a guy named Steve Green, said he knew nothing about collecting when he started this museum and that he didn't know that, uh, you know, these were unscrupulously attained artifacts. You know, the dealer, he, he's claiming the dealers who gave, sold them to him said they were all, you know, legit. And so on and so on. Um, I, I'm not going to read. I, I would love to go through this whole story because there's a lot of other fascinating examples, but we don't really have time, so I'm just going to keep going. I suggest you go look at it for yourself. Let's go to Bangladesh. You know, there's been a lot of lightning strikes lately. I think I covered that one where the Indian dudes were taking selfies in India and a shitload of them died. Well, here's another one. A lightning strike has killed 17 people in a wedding party in Bangladesh. Yeah, more than, more than a dozen injured. 
They were on a boat. Apparently, the boat was on its way to the bride's house. Probably not a good idea to be on a boat on a river during a lightning storm. But uh, yeah, the lightning hit the boat as it reached the bank of the Padma River. Uh, 14 injured people were taken to a hospital. Most lightning deaths in Bangladesh, by the way, occur between March and July. Are you kidding me? They say hundreds of people are killed by lightning every year in Bangladesh. It's mostly farmers in their fields. Um, in 2016, as a matter of fact, the government declared lightning strikes a natural disaster. They killed more than 200 people in May of 2016 alone. 82 of them on a single day. <laughs> That's fucking wild. Experts say the rise in lightning strikes, uh, fatal lightning strikes, is related to deforestation, which has led to the disappearance of many tall trees that would have drawn the lightning. Yeah, and a lot of these, and Bangladesh, by the way, is a very low-lying, and it's also extremely densely populated, so it's no wonder that one lightning strike takes out a shitload of people. Let's go to Afghanistan. Of course, we've been watching this one closely. The Taliban has captured a regional hub city in western Afghanistan Friday, yesterday. This is the first provincial capital to fall to the Taliban since the Biden administration announced the full withdrawal of U.S. troops. So this is a significant milestone. The Taliban, if you guys have been listening and covered it every week, they have been marching all over the country and they want to retake power. And the Taliban have besieged these cities for weeks. So the latest one is the city of Zaranj. That is the provincial capital of Nimra's province on the Afghanistan-Iran border. And it handed the insurgents yet another crucial international border crossing. And that is just the latest one. I think I don't remember which one it was. The other border crossing, I covered it a few weeks back, but the Taliban took over another border crossing in a separate part of the country, and now they're making like millions and millions of dollars and collecting customs fees by people who want to send their products through the border. So they're raking it in. So now this is another uh, source of revenue for them. Uh, the collapse of Zaranj was confirmed by the deputy governor of Nimruz and the head of the provincial council. Oh, and also get this. The Taliban captured the city without any fighting at all. So they just, again, if you've been listening, you've heard me say how the Taliban will just walk up and be like, hey, you can surrender now and you'll live or you can fight and we're going to come in and kill all of you. And oftentimes they do surrender. And it does appear that they did it in this case as well. Now, this occurred on the same day that a senior government official was assassinated in uh, Kabul. I have more on that in a minute. And this also came as the Taliban was going hard into other provincial cities. If you're looking at a map of Afghanistan, if you want to know where this place is, it's in like the bottom left corner, the southwest corner. Uh, let's see, what else about this? Taliban fighters faced little resistance in taking Zaranj. And, oh, here you go. Afghan officials said that a deal had been negotiated with the Taliban, allowing the authorities in the city to flee across the border to Iran with their families. There you go. Hmm. 
Only the local office of the National Directorate of Security, which is Afghanistan's intelligence agency, put up a fight, but eventually they all surrendered. One of the Taliban's first acts after entering the city was to break into its prison, immediately filling Zaranj's streets with liberated inmates. Oh, that's great. Since the Taliban began its military campaign in May, that city has been uh, seen an exodus of all kinds of people looking to leave the country. In early July, around 450 pickup trucks carrying migrants left Zaranj towards crossing points along the Iranian border each day. Uh, yeah, so now this is significant because the Taliban has moving away from targeting those rural districts. Now they're going and attacking provincial capitals like big cities. Uh, anything else on here? Yeah, this, uh, the, as far as the defense minister here, let me see what I have on this. Uh, I just have to scroll down and find it. Yeah, this was the senior government official in Kabul. And it was the head of the government's media and information center, somebody named Dawa Khan Minapal. He was gunned down in a targeted attack. And, uh, of course, dozens of officials and civil society figures have been assassinated over the last year, though the Taliban have largely denied responsibility for those attacks. And that killing came days after a coordinated attack by the Taliban on the residence of the acting defense minister that left eight people dead. And that just highlighted the Taliban's ability to strike into the heart of the Afghan capital as they continue their military campaign. Now, yesterday, Friday, in northern Afghanistan, the Taliban attacked another provincial capital, uh, the city of Shabergan, from five directions, burning houses, wedding halls, assaulting the police headquarters, and the prison. There were all kinds of civilian casualties, and it's going to just keep going. And so I, I'll go back to what I said six months ago. This is going to be a Taliban country, and there's nothing you can do about it. So what's the government doing, you might want to ask? Well, Afghan forces have retaken some districts, but they are running really, really thin. Both the Afghan Air Force and the Afghan Commando Forces are completely exhausted. So the government has now once more looked to the local militias to fill the gaps. Again, that was what was going on in the 1990s following the Soviet Union's withdrawal from Afghanistan. So we're just right back to the same thing. Yep. And I feel sorry for the people of Afghanistan, but, you know, there's just, there's nothing we can do about it. As far as that raid at the uh, acting defense minister, his name was Bismala Khan Mohammadi. And... That raid began around 8 p.m. with a car bomb that detonated outside of his house. There were 80 people trapped inside the home. And again, significant because it was close to Kabul's heavily fortified green zone. And that complex attack was the largest that the Taliban have carried out in the city of Kabul in nearly a year. Yeah, no good. He did live, by the way, the uh, defense minister, but eight, eight other people were killed. Sucks. What else? Let's move on to Israel, where once again, you'll be shocked to hear this, Hezbollah 
The Iranian-backed Lebanese militant group claimed responsibility for firing a volley of rockets over Israel's northern frontier on Friday yesterday, just the latest in those recent cross-border attacks. But this launch was significantly larger than a few previous rocket launches from Lebanon in recent weeks, and this is just the most recent in a long shadow war between Israel and and Iran. Um, this comes on the heels of that uh, attack last week on that Israeli-linked merchant ship in the Indian Ocean. I told you guys about that one last week. And Israel and several major powers have blamed Iran for that attack, which killed two foreign nationals aboard the ship, including a British security guard and a Romanian officer. Uh, so they... U.S. Military Central Command, CENTCOM, they released an, a report on their investigation into that episode, stating that the ship, remember that's called the Mercer Street, that cargo ship, was hit on July 30th by, by an Iranian-made aerial drone loaded with military-grade explosive, which damaged the vessel and killed the two victims there. So despite those heightened tensions between Israel and Iran, both Hezbollah and the Israeli military indicated a desire to avoid escalation, but the Israeli military says they will not allow attacks to go unanswered along the border. The military, Israeli military, said that 19 rockets had been fired from Lebanon and 10 were intercepted by Israeli's air defense system while others landed in open areas. There were no casualties or damage reported on Either side. Oh, that was stupid then. All right. What else? Well, let's come back to the United States here for a moment and talk about the Dixie Fire. Uh, this is one, uh, this is the largest fire going on currently in the United States. This is in California. It is the third largest wildfire on record in California, by the way. And it is has exploded by more than 97,000 acres in 24 hours, becoming, again, the third largest wildfire on record in California. Just the day before, it was sixth on the list. So the Dixie Fire has completely destroyed the town of Greenville in Northern California, and it has burned, uh, by Friday morning, over 435,000 acres. It has destroyed at least 91 structures so far, and it is likely to grow with only 35% of the fire contained. Now, the fire that had been the previous largest wildfire in the nation was the Bootleg Fire in Oregon. That fire is currently 87% contained. Uh, let's see. As far as, uh, you know, one thing I'm... I'm interested in. I've bitched about this before, and and I heard <laughs> I did hear from a few of you guys, you firefighters out there, because I was complaining about the names that they come up with fires, because they they come up with these like names and it doesn't really tell me like where the fire is, and I was wondering like, well, why don't you just name it after the main town that it's by, or like a mountain, you know, a significant mountain, something like that. So, why are they given these names? Well, they. They get their names by whatever makes it the easiest for firefighters to find a fire and for nearby residents to consistently track the fire's path. 
Uh, so usually they get their names based on where they originate. And they're named for winding rural roads nearby landmarks or mountain peaks. So this Dixie Fire, although it did start some distance from where Dixie Road appears on maps, uh, it, they said that was the closest thing by where the fire started because this is in a very like uh, remote area. And by the way, Dixie Road is close to Camp Creek Road. Why is that significant? Well, the Camp Fire in 2018 was extremely deadly, and it was named after that Camp Creek Road. Well, why didn't they call it the Camp Creek Fire then? It's just it was just known as the Camp Fire. See, I don't know. It's like they have their these arbitrary rules. Guys, spare me the messages. I know. I got last time I talked about this, I got like a dozen messages from firefighters explaining, and I forget what all of you said. So I'm sorry. Um. Oh yeah, and and here it is. See, this is why it doesn't make sense. They they did say Cal Fire said multiple fires can end up with the same name because, for example, there's been more than one river fire, and in 2017 during a busy year there was the Lilac Fire in San Diego County, but that was actually the fifth fire to be given the same names. So. The first fire officials on the scene often name a fire, and then they almost never change it. Because <laughs> then if it changes, I guess it gets too confusing. Yeah. Because it's not like hurricanes, which can be named in advance. It's it's different. So it's too bad. Uh, that's still ongoing in Northern California. So hopefully it gets a little bit better. What else? Let's go to... Uh, let's see. Let me go to this story here. You guys know I'm always telling you about the youth pastors. Yeah, this is bad. A man who is already a convicted sex offender now faces 53 charges for alleged sex crimes committed against 11 boys when he was a youth pastor at Mercer County Church. Uh, Mark Hotzler, 29 years old, is serving a 3-23 to 23 month jail sentence in Franklin County, Pennsylvania, where he was convicted in March of unlawful contact with a minor. Well, now he's got new charges. From 11 males, they were all underage, and these supposedly occurred between 2015 and 2021. One alleged victim told police he was 13 when Hotzler took him to his home and had the boy take his clothes off and ride on Hotzler's back. Oh, God. The boy said the two also played video games with their genitals exposed. Oh, God. No, it gets worse. The same boy said that two years later, Hotzler took him to his office and rubbed his genitals against the boy's genitals. You know, it's funny, right before I started the podcast, my mom called me and I was like, yeah, she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm prepping for the podcast and she, she listens here and there. And she's like, do you have to go on about the sex stories? And I'm like, mom, this is what's out there. I feel a responsibility to tell the people in very graphic terms what's out there because the mainstream media is so bad about it or they obfuscate the, they'll just say like, you know, sex act. They won't say what the sex act is, and it, it like kind of whitewashes it, in my opinion. So if you guys are wondering why I talk about this, it's because I want you to know what's out there. I want you to know that there's predators in your schools, in your churches. And what have I said a hundred times? Beware 
of the man who is really eager to spend lots of time around children who are not his own. And I know I'm not, I'm not trying to smear all you guys who volunteer and stuff like that. That's, that's different though. Plenty of guys like volunteer, you know, help kids and they want to go home. They want to get the hell out of there. I'm talking about the guys who are like really like uh, motivated, if you know what I mean. And they don't have their own children. Also another huge red flag. So, uh, yeah. Also, by the way, all 11 victims in this case have seen images of Hotzler's genitals. Uh, some say they received videos of Hotzler engaged in a sex act. Jesus. They did not name the church where Hotzler was a youth pastor at the time. However, his LinkedIn account says he became a youth pastor in 2014 at Grace Chapel Community Church in Hermitage. Ugh. Wow. 53 counts. All but 12 of the 53 charges are felonies, by the way. So, yeah, he gone. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, and by the way, as long as I'm on depraved stories, I have a very important update on one of my, probably my favorite story of the year. You guys remember the story of the home inspector in Michigan who defiled the Elmo doll? Remember he was caught on the security, on the nanny cam, pleasuring himself and finishing, by the way, on the Elmo doll? <laughs> well, we have an important update. Yeah, that's right. I'm tracking this story relentlessly. He wants to have the judge throw out his confession. And by the way, his name is Kevin Van Loven. And yeah, 59 years old, 59. And he's got such an urge while inspecting a home. He's got to just jack it right there. Yep, he was captured on the nanny cam. And that was given to the uh, police the video by uh, Jada Dodson. It was her house. Remember, she got an alert to her phone. You guys remember this story? And she 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 looks at her phone. She's like, "Oh, you have a there's movement in front of your nanny cam," and she sees this fucking guy just wailing away. Uh, so he's been charged with aggravated uh, indecent exposure and malicious destruction of personal property because you know the Elmo doll. You know you can't keep that. He did finish on it, like I said. That was in the original story. Uh, prosecutors are opposed to this, by the way. Now, why does he want... I have to open up this other uh, tab because they're not saying why he wants his confession thrown out. Um, yeah, it doesn't say... And, and I'm all, I just clicked open the smoking gun. And all it says is the same thing. It doesn't say why. He just he just wants a judge to uh, to to squash what police say are verbal and written confessions. Okay, I mean, it, what difference does it make? It's all on video. So, by the way, if I have any uh, law enforcement sources in Michigan who can get a hold of this video, feel free to send that along. You can contact me through Instagram at bkactual. Okay, let's go back to some international stuff. Uh, remember a, a little while ago, I was talking about the, I think last week, I was talking about the floods in China. Well, the number of people who died in those floods has increased dramatically to over 300, 302 to be exact. That more than triples the previously reported total. And now people are like, well, how bad was this thing? This was in the central province of Henan. And... 
it, everybody's wondering, like, why has this uh, death toll climbed so sharply? So a spokesman, the provincial vice governor, said that the toll included the number who had died between July 16th and Monday. So during a news conference on Thursday, they said 99 people had died in floods since July 16th. And there had been no reports of significant flooding since Thursday, suggesting a delay in the reporting of earlier deaths. And at least 50 people, by the way, are still missing. Um, in one area, the Henan provincial capital, this, uh, the city of uh, Zhengzhou, 108 people died and included that 14 in that subway tunnel that flooded rapidly. It's horrible. And then many of those other people killed were in smaller cities. So, uh, apparently 189 were killed in floodwaters and mudslides. 54 people died in collapsed structures, and another 39 drowned in basements, underground garages, and tunnels. The authorities described the intense cloudburst over the area last month as a theory of an at least 1 in 1,000 years event. The authorities in China have sometimes been slow to issue death tolls and disasters. In July of 2012, after parts of Beijing had heavy rains, the government announced a death toll of 37 people. But then, days later, after some Beijing residents began compiling a list, the government confirmed that 77 people had actually died. Uh, what about uh, the Tigray region in Ethiopia? Been covering that from time to time. Well, some of the fallout from that is still going uh, because in Sudan, at least 40 bodies have washed up on a riverbank in just the past week. In some cases, just a few hundred yards from their border with Ethiopia. And they think this is the latest evidence of the atrocities in that brutal nine-month civil war between Ethiopian federal forces and their allies and the fighters in the Tigray region of northern Ethiopia. You guys have been listening. You recall that that conflict has been accompanied by reports of massacres, ethnic cleansing, widespread sexual assault. Now, few of these bodies have been identified, but several contain tattoos that suggested they were ethnic Tigrayans, and many bore signs of a violent death or had their hands bound behind their backs. Yikes. Now, the one doctor that was on the scene said that the bodies had come from the direction of Humera. That's an Ethiopian town on the river six miles upstream, and that town had become part of the intensifying war between Tigrayan forces and the forces aligned with Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. And the killings came to public attention this week after images of grotesquely bloated bodies floating in the river circulated on social media. And that reminded people a lot of the genocide in the East African nation of Rwanda in 1994 when the bodies of victims also flowed over an international border. Oh, by the way, Ethiopia's government denounced those pictures on social media as fakes. <laughs> Remember uh, Abi? He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019, and now he's facing a stream of reports of atrocities committed by Ethiopian troops and their allies in Tigray in 
recent months, and he's defending himself by saying, hey, the Tigrayans have also committed abuses, including recruiting child soldiers to their cause. Uh, they also, let's see here, I'm just looking, Abi's spokesman referred to a government statement from July 22nd that appeared to anticipate this controversy, accusing Tigrayan forces of dumping in the city of Humera the bodies of 300 people who had been killed in other parts of Tigray in an effort to generate made-up propaganda of a massacre. Yep, 400,000 people in Tigray are living in famine-like conditions. And in recent weeks, this fighting is, is still going on. Remember, the Tigrayan fighters had us, had made up a, a lot of ground and been really kicking the shit out of the Ethiopian government forces. But it's still uh, not stopping at all. Yeah. Again, man, Africa, man. It's, every, it's all just so screwed up over there. Uh, let's go to... Let's talk about the Myanmar ambassador. Where... He, by the way, has opposed the military coup covered heavily on the podcast. Well, apparently he was the target of an assassination plot. And this involved the United States because two Myanmar citizens living in New York plotted over the past month to attack and potentially kill the country's ambassador to the United Nations because he lives in Westchester County. So after being contacted by an arms dealer in Thailand, one of the men uh, who is being accused of this, named Fio Hein Hutut, agreed to hire attackers to injure the ambassador, who is a guy named Yu Kya Mo Tun, in an effort to force him to step down. If the ambassador, whom, by the way, Myanmar's military has repeatedly tried to replace, refused to resign, this arms dealer proposed the attackers kill him instead. So prosecutors say that Fio Hein Hutut and Yi Hain Za, 28 and 20 years old respectively, were serving as intermediaries and made payments to fund the attack. And so prosecutors are uh, giving them a charge of conspiracy to assault and make a violent attack upon a foreign officials. So if they are convicted, they could serve up to five years in prison. Uh, you guys remember, after the country of Myanmar's elected government was overthrown in that military coup back in February, then uh, millions of uh, people went out into the streets in protest. And at that time, this ambassador, Kya Motun, stood in open opposition to the ousting of the country's civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. As a matter of fact, in February, he delivered a defiant speech at a United Nations General Assembly meeting in New York, calling for, quote, the strongest possible action from the international community, end quote, to restore democracy. This is weird. The audience applauded, and during the meeting, uh, Mo Tun raised his hand in the three-finger salute of resistance from the Hunger Games films, which came to represent the country's protest movement. Uh, he said he wanted to do something with maximum impact to show how shocked he was. So then the military, now the, the people who are running the country now after the coup, the country's military leaders, 
Well, they were this angered them. They accused Mo Tun of high treason and tried to replace him, but he refused to go. So the diplomat chosen by military leaders to replace him then quit. And the General Assembly at the UN, which has to accredit your diplomats, did not recognize the military efforts. So then they started plotting up with uh, this shit. Hmm. This Thai arms dealer, by the way, federal prosecutor said sells weapons to Myanmar's military. How do you get into that business? God, I'd love to be an international arms dealer. I saw that movie, Lord of War, and I was like, God, that looks like fun. <laughs> I'll, to I'll totally do it. I don't care. Oh, man. What else? I mentioned Lebanon earlier. Yeah, you know, they're going, in, they're going through the worst economic meltdown in more than a century over there. And I've talked about that sporadically here and there. But remember, Lebanon is still haunted by that 15-year civil war that ended in 1990. So right now, they are on the throes of a financial collapse that the World Bank has said could rank among the world's worst since the mid-1800s. And this financial collapse is closing in on families whose money has plummeted in value while the cost of nearly everything else has skyrocketed. Since fall of 2019, get this, the Lebanese pound... The currency has lost 90% of their value. And annual inflation in 2020 was 84.9%. As of June of this year, prices of consumer goods have nearly quadrupled in the previous two years. And then, of course, they had that huge explosion one year ago in the port of Beirut, which killed more than 200 people and left a shitload of the capital city in shambles. So all that was like a perfect storm. Uh, on Wednesday, by the way, Lebanon observed a day of mourning to mark the one-year anniversary of that blast. But how did this happen? Well, years of corruption and bad policies have left the state deeply in debt and the central bank unable to keep propping up their currency because of a drop in foreign cash flows into the country. Because again, who wants to go invest in a corrupt country that's... Uh, you know, still has all kinds of uh, crazily uh, jihadists running around. Yeah, they have extended power cuts. It's just basically a nation in, in decline. The country has long endured electricity shortages. So residents have to rely on privately owned diesel-powered generators. Uh, imported fuel has become more expensive. It's just a shit show over there. So, yeah, it can happen anywhere. Okay, guys, let's go into our COVID update and the Gary Delta variant. I'm, you know, I, I thought we were, I really thought that I was done talking about COVID like three months ago, but it's actually, it's worse. Now it's, now it's worse than ever because the hysteria is just out of control. I gave you the numbers last week. And just before I start the COVID update, I'm, I, I put this out on Twitter and Instagram. Out of 160, I'm just going off memory here, you guys. I don't even have this in front of me, but I've said it so many times, it's beaten into my head. Here's the only statistic you need to know. Out of 161 million fully vaccinated Americans, only 0.004% have gotten a breakthrough infection that made them seriously ill or killed them. Let me say that out loud because I think it has more punch. That is... Four thousandths of one percent 
of the 161 million fully vaccinated Americans have gotten seriously ill or died from a new infection of COVID. Four thousandths of one percent. And um, that's the only stat you need to know. And if you're not vaccinated, I don't give a shit. You choose that. It's a free vaccine. It's widely available. I'm tired of CNN and their stories like, oh, man regrets not giving vaccine and he's on his deathbed. Well, fuck you, dude. <laughs> I can't get over it. Anyway, I got a lot of COVID shit to get to, so let me get into it, all right? Uh, let's see. First of all, the total reported cases are now 35,733,875. That is a plus 113% in the 14-day change. Uh, total deaths are 616,257. That is a plus 88% in the 14-day change. Infections and hospitalizations are increasing rapidly. For the first time since February, the U.S. is averaging more than 100,000 new cases a day. Um, so this is especially bad in the South, where Florida and Louisiana recently set seven-day case records. Uh, you should know, again, I'm going to repeat this as well. The vaccines authorized in the United States are effective against the Delta variant, especially in preventing severe illness. So maybe it's finally starting to fucking sink into these hillbillies because after going down and down and down last month, the pace of vaccination has started to slowly creep upward. Uh, let's see. Remember... Most of Americans 65 and older have been fully vaccinated. More than 80%, as a matter of fact. Uh, case growth has also slowed considerably in the parts of Missouri, Nevada, and Arkansas were, who were among the first people to endure a summer surge. Most Americans live in areas where the CDC recommends that everyone, vaccinated or not, wear a mask in public indoors. Well, that's fucking stupid. Masks are now mandatory in Louisiana, Hawaii, and Washington, D.C. Increasingly, we see many more employers requiring that their employees be vaccinated. And as far as the percentage of adults in the U.S. fully vaccinated, we're looking at 61%. So there's your quick numbers here what about as far as our live updates page let me just scroll down here and see if there's anything that i want to get to um if, god of course the new york times has to point out that public health experts dispute some republicans claim that migrants are spurring a rise in covid cases of course yeah, of course it's never their fault right even though we have thousands of illegal aliens at the southern border i'll get to that more later that are positive with COVID and then being promptly shipped all over the country. No, they have nothing to do with it, right? No, nothing to do with it. And this is stupid. You know what their main, you know what their main theory is? Why that is not relevant? Because the public health experts are saying, well, many of these major outbreaks are bordering and are in states that do not border Mexico. And I'm like, dummy, every state is a border state now. As soon as they cross over, the border patrol ships them out to wherever they want to go in the United States. It's idiotic. God, I can't even believe they they wrote that down on paper. That is so silly. Oh, well, these states don't border Mexico, BK. They're flying them all over the country, you fucking dummy. Stupid. Uh, protests over the Thai government's lagging vaccine rollout and the pandemic's economic toll are turning violent. Yeah, more than a thousand anti-government protesters clashed with the police on Saturday. 
You know, it's funny. Have you seen all these protests? I mean, compared to like France, the U.S. anti-vaccine and anti-mask protests are tame. And again, I'm pro-vaccine. I'm pro-vaccine. I'm anti-mask if you're vaccinated. That's just stupid. And it's not backed by any science. This is just symbolic nonsense. If I'm vaccinated, not only am I vaccinated, I've told you before, I've ha- I tested positive for COVID, so I had the antibodies. So technically, I didn't even need to get a vaccine. That's according to the science. Right. But I got the vaccine anyway, because I want to be double plus, you know, protected. So what do I care? Why should I have to wear a mask? I don't want to wear a mask. Uh, Of course, the evil villain is Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. He says, uh, yeah, he's not going to change course here. He reopened his state's economy last spring and he kept it that way. Uh, So a new virus spike has led to a record number of COVID-19 hospitalizations in Florida. And so now they're uh, questioning him. Uh, Vaccine reduces risk of infection even in people who have already had COVID. Okay, well, that just answers my question I just talked about. Unvaccinated people who have had COVID-19 may be more than twice as likely to get infected again than those who tested positive and got the vaccine. Okay, well, again, you have to parse may, may be more. But it is a study published by the Center for Disease Control, which examined the risk of reinfection during May and June among hundreds of Kentucky residents who tested positive for the virus in 2020. Those who did not get vaccinated this year faced a risk of reinfection that was 2.34 times higher than those who did get vaccinated. This was a small argument. Uh, I'm sorry, a small number of people in Kentucky, but it would seem to counter the argument, writes the New York Times, by one of uh, Kentucky senators, Rand Paul, who has repeatedly asserted that vaccination is unnecessary for people like him who have had the virus and developed immunity. Well, you're, you're just, you're unlikely to get it either way, but yeah, the vaccine will definitely probably help you more. Uh, Let's see, I got a lot of audio clips to get to, but let me quickly get to just a few more headlines. Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey announced that in the face of the Delta variant, all students, teachers, staff members, and visitors would have to wear masks inside of school buildings when public schools open in a few weeks. And I have a clip from him later. This doesn't, you know what, the school thing does not make any fucking sense. Do you realize that schools have been open for well over a year in many parts of the country? Private, and, and, and in California, private schools, including Governor Gavin Newsom's kids, they were able to go to school. There has, has there been a single outbreak or serious hospitalizations or deaths that resulted in COVID from schools? It just doesn't make any sense. This is symbolic nonsense. That's all it is. Every fucking elected official is just terrified to do anything and say like, no, well, you know, this is something we have to live with. It's like having the flu season every year, which kills tens of thousands of people. Nobody bats an eye at that. That's what this is going to be. It's going to be the same shit. Okay, let's go to some audio clips here. And uh, let's go to... Let me just scroll through them really quick. Well, I want to let me start with this guy. Here was a doctor. He's a regular on CNA named Peter. Uh, I'm sorry, Doctor Osterholm. I don't know his first name. I looked up his credentials, and his credentials are very solid. He's an epidemiologist at a major university. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. 
But here he is talking about masks and kind of admitting that most masks don't do shit. Let's hear how this goes. I want to start with the confusion of the moment. And I'm not saying it's intentional, but you have some places mandating masks indoors. You just heard the New York City mayor saying, I recommend masks indoors. You have CDC guidelines. You have some Republican governors saying, hell no, we will not allow any mandates. Where are we? Well, first of all, we're in a very unfortunate situation. Uh, we've really brought this country to a point of confusion, which uh, it really misses the main point that we should be focusing on vaccine, vaccine, and vaccine. Yes. Uh, you know, I wish we could get rid of the term masking because, in fact, it implies anything you put in front of your face works. And uh, if I could just add a nuance to that, which hopefully doesn't add more confusion, is we know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. No way. In fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. We need to talk about better masking. We need to talk about N95 respirators, which would do a lot for both people who are not yet uh, vaccinated or not previously infected, protecting them, as well as keeping others who might become infected having been vaccinated. From okay, so you heard him. He said basically that cloth masks don't work. <laughs> it would have been nice if you had known that like a year ago, huh? And then so they asked uh, hapless, bumbling press secretary Jen Psaki about those comments because at one point this Ulsterholm guy was an advisor to Joe Biden's administration. Let's hear how she's issue with Secretary Cardona yesterday. He mentioned sure. that with Governor DeSantis, they, he was concerned about the EO he did regarding public schools on masks, and he said we know what works. But the pre one of the president's top COVID advisors, Michael Osterholm, just Michael. this recently who's not a current advisor to the president current, but, but but was so notable right okay. he Go said ahead. uh in a television interview this week regarding mask wearing specifically the cloth mask like so many of us are wearing here and what the kids are wearing in school right largely he said um it's a just that the scientific community has been doing a disservice to the public on face coverings he said that cloth masks like these have very limited impact on the amount of virus that you inhale or you exhale out and he also said that he's really disappointed in his colleagues for not making that more clear to the public. And that's sort of in line with the study that Governor DeSantis is citing as the basis for his ex executive order. So I how think do you you're confusing a few things there. But let me first say that Gosh, so is not an advisor to the president, to the administration, to the White House. He doesn't work here. He's a private citizen and a medical, a public health expert. But a, a lot of public health experts are out there speaking and good for them. I will say that we are going to continue to uh, rely on the advice of medical experts in the federal government. Okay, well, you know what? They're going to all keep, they want to keep their jobs. So they're not going to say anything that contradicts what fucking Biden's message is. That's <laughs> great. He came out and said, hey, by the way, cloth masks don't work. I mentioned New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. And here he is again talking about reopening the schools. Let's uh, hear what this dude So I want to be also clear that our schools will open for full-time in-person instruction as previously announced. We remain steadfast in the recognition that our children learn better in a classroom setting tailored for their educations. Yes. Allow me if I may to step back just for a minute. The health and safety of our kids is among, if not my most sacred responsibility, as it is, by the way, for any governor. There are issues that are and must always remain above politics, and this is one of them. Anyone telling you 
that we can safely reopen our schools without requiring everyone inside to wear a mask is quite simply lying to you because we can't. Okay, because we can't. Again, is there a single journalist who wants to point out, but Governor... Many, many states have had thousands and thousands of public schools open for like a year with no masks inside. And there has not been one significant outbreak. How do you explain that, Governor? What do you mean we can't, Governor? Governor, uh, Dr. Ulsterholm, public health expert at a major university, just went on and said cloth masks don't do shit. Is that going to... Nobody wants to admit that this is just something you're going to have to deal with. And yes, sadly, some people are going to get sick and die just like they do from all kinds of other shit. And that's it. Here's some dope on CNN. He's saying the exact same thing I said like a year ago that uh, just because cases are not the best way to measure the pandemic, it should be hospitalizations and deaths. Finally. Breakthrough implies rare. Breakthrough implies something went wrong. And that's not actually the premise of the vaccines. Right. The premise is that you don't end up in the hospital. And, and, and we've seen that they, they work. I think news coverage almost needs to, to reflect that uh, maybe cases, like you said, are not the best barometer for how we measure the pandemic anymore. It, it should maybe perhaps be on hospitalizations. No fucking shit. No shit, Oliver Darcy from CNN. Some of us were saying that like a year and a half ago. Friggin' dopes. Uh, let me see. Uh, here, uh, by the way, I mentioned Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So DeSantis was uh, he, he basically Joe Biden at one point. I'm not going to play this clip because it was very faint. But Joe Biden said, hey, these governors in Florida and shit need to get out of the way and let us do our job. Well, here is Governor Ron DeSantis firing back. Why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. Thank you. Yeah, all right. God, Ron DeSantis. I, I like Ron DeSantis. He's good. He's like Trump without all the buffoonery. Uh, do I have any other COVID clips here? Well, let's hear from Sleepy Joe himself. And again, and he's and I can't believe I'm saying this, but he's absolutely spot on in this clip. Let's hear from him. We have a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Now, I know there's a lot of misinformation out there. So here are the facts. If you're vaccinated, you are highly unlikely to get COVID-19. And even if you do, the chances are you won't show any symptoms. And if you do, they'll most likely be very mild. There you go. I wish he would say the stat that I just gave you, the four thousandth of one percent. I feel that needs to be said out loud many, many, many times. And don't even say 0.004% because most people don't fucking know what that number means. You have to say four thousandths of 1%. It's an important distinction, you guys. Uh, let's see. Is that all I have? Uh, New York City is going to require workers and customers to show proof of at least one dose for indoor dining and other activities. Uh, but interesting enough, Boston's mayor is uh, condemning the vaccine passport idea. This is Mayor Kim Janey. Now, she did it in a woke racial way, but still. She compared vaccine passports to racist policies that required black people to show their identification papers. Uh, asked on Tuesday whether she supported requiring people to show proof of vaccination when they enter restaurants, gyms, movie theaters, and other indoor public spaces, Ms. Janey warned that such policies would disproportionately affect communities of color. Now, 
uh, she did say, quote, there's a long history in this country of people needing to show their papers, whether we are talking about this from the standpoint of, you know, during slavery, post-slavery, as recent as, you know, what the immigrant population has to go through, end quote. Now, she did attempt to walk back the comparison. She said, I wish I had not used those analogies, blah, blah, blah. But she did with not withdraw her critique of these policies. She said if the credentials were required to enter businesses today, quote, that would shut out nearly 40% of East Boston and 60% of Mattapan, end quote. Those are neighborhoods with large black and Latino populations. Well, maybe you should go get fucking vaccinated. I don't know. I'm not super against the passport, honestly, because I feel that, hey, I've been vaccinated. Why should I be punished? I know some of you guys will disagree with me on that, and that's fine. Uh, and, uh, let's see, uh, it's funny too, because, you know, all these elected officials who are pushing the vaccine, they were singing a lot different tune when the orange man was in charge. Here's a little bit of a montage of various liberal Democrats when Trump was in office, uh, casting doubt on vaccines. Let's I listen think to this. it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine and they should be. We can't trust the president. Uh, and take his word and take a vaccine that might cause harm to us. If and when the vaccine comes, it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. Let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? We will need to have access to the vaccine results so we can make our independent assessment to make sure that Donald Trump's uh, fingerprints are not on it. You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. Is the vaccine safe? Uh, Frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. (laughs) And I wouldn't recommend to New Yorkers based on the federal government's opinion. And the question of whether it's real when it's there, that requires enormous transparency. Would you trust that vaccine? There's very little that we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. We cannot take for granted this process will be free of political influence. I don't trust the president, and I don't trust the FDA. If Donald Trump can't give answers and the administration can't give answers to these three questions, the American people should not have confidence. You're going to say to the American people now, here's a vaccine, it was new, it was done quickly, but trust this federal administration and their health administration that it's safe? I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. How confident are you in the approval process of the FDA right now? How confident am I? Uh, I'm not that confident. Okay, all right. It goes on from there, but you get get the idea. Um, And, by the way, the defense secretary... Uh, Lloyd Austin III, he will decide in the next few days whether to recommend that President Biden make coronavirus vaccinations mandatory for the country's 1.3 million active duty troops. And uh, this is going to be a pretty major major move. Now, Biden already announced last week that all federal employees and on-site contractors, on-site contractors must be vaccinated against the coronavirus or be required to submit to regular testing and other measures. So I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to make it mandatory. So if you're in the military now listening to this, just uh, get ready. The Australian state of Victoria is going back into lockdown just a week after emerging from its fifth coronavirus lockdown. 
they are now reimposing restrictions. The and this Victoria state, by the way, includes Melbourne, which is the second largest city in Australia. Get this. They said they had detected eight new cases. That's it. Eight fucking cases. <laughs> eight cases and they locked down the entire state. Are you, these people are f- completely insane? I, I don't even know where to start with that. Uh, California is mandating workers in the public and health sectors to get vaccinated. Health officials in California on Thursday ordered more than 2 million health care workers in the state to be vaccinated, largely removing an option that lets unvaccinated employees submit to regular testing instead. So just last week, Governor Gavin Newsom had included testing as an alternative to vaccination when he ordered state employees and health care workers to be vaccinated, but now he's uh, changed his mind like the bumbling idiot that he is. And uh, let's see, finally, let's finish with my man. Public service announcement from none other than O.J. Simpson, and he wants you to get vaccinated. So let's hear from O.J. here. Here we go. Hey, Twitter world, it's me, yours truly. Um, it hurts up the real interesting today. You know, What's with that, O.J.? 99 or whatever percent of people dying or the unvaccinated yeah, from, from that's right. the new COVID stuff. And, yeah. Over 90% of hospitalizations, especially in Florida, are among the unvaccinated. A female doctor was on this morning. She made the best analogy I've heard. She said that being vaccinated is like wearing your seatbelt. That it doesn't guarantee you won't get in an accident. But if you do, you have a much better chance of surviving. Hey, get your shots. I don't like wearing masks. And as you people who aren't getting the shots... That has brought this mask thing back. I'm just saying. Take care. There you go, guys. If you don't fucking wear that mask or get your shot, OJ is going to come after you. And Lord knows you don't want that. Uh, Okay. So I I mentioned California. I might as well go into this. Let's talk about the weekly update for your California recall. Remember, you guys, September 14th, you California residents, and you must turn out. This will send a shockwave through national, local, municipal, state politics everywhere. This will this is the golden boy. Gavin Newsom thinks he's going to be president someday. This is your chance to fucking end his career and end all this lockdown nonsense once and for all. Uh, so this is a, a unique election because it's been greatly influenced by the pandemic. For starters, the courts gave organizers more time than usual during a recall to collect signatures. And then Newsom shot himself in the foot by dining at the French Laundry, among all his like uh, unemployment department corruption and incompetence and everything else. So now, uh, yeah, he's facing it. Polling is showing that Republicans are far more fired up about the election than Democrats. And this is a special election, so it's not like a presidential election where the people who want only vote once every four years show up. And these new polls are shaking up Democrats. One poll found that likely voters statewide are almost evenly split. And the other poll is that voters here in San Diego support recalling Newsom. That's right. The majority of the people polled said, yes, they do want to recall him. Now, a recall election is relatively easy in California. Still, successful recalls are rare. The last statewide recall happened in 2003. That was the one that... uh, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor in. If a majority of voters choose to remove Newsom from office, the challenger then with the most votes will take his place. Remember, there's two questions. The first question is, should he be recalled? If he wins that, the second question, who should replace him, is moot. So we have to fucking at least answer the first question. Uh, Larry Elder, the conservative talk radio host, is leading in the current polls right now um, by by quite a bit. Uh, And I, I mentioned that poll earlier. Do I have the exact number? There was another poll that came out. This was just prior to the start of the first televised debate that the Republican guys vying to replace him in. A shock poll showed the governor losing the first question, should Gavin Newsom be recalled, by double digits. The poll came from Survey USA and the San Diego Union Tribune. It was conducted among 1,100 Californians from August 2nd to August 4th. It found that 51% of respondents were in favor of recalling Newsom while only 40% wanted to keep him in power. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, don't tease me. Because I really believe in my heart he's not going to be recalled. But, hey, I've said it 100 times. The only poll that matters is the Election Day poll. That's it. All right. What else? Let's go. Let's go back here to San Diego. And talk about the fire which destroyed the Bonham Richard. Investigators now have identified the Navy sailor accused of starting that fire that engulfed the Bonham Richard and burned it. Basically, now it's uh, they're going to scrap the entire ship. That happened here in San Diego last year. So this is 20-year-old sailor Ryan Sawyer Mays. He only joined the service in May 2019. He holds the rank of seaman apprentice, and the Navy has formally charged Mays with aggravated arson and hazarding a vessel last month. They haven't really provided any other details, and they won't until federal search warrants are unsealed by a federal court in San Diego on Tuesday. So coming up in a few days, we'll know a lot more. Documents filed by the Naval Criminal Investigative Service described a sailor who hated the Navy after being sent to the warship following his attempt to become a Navy SEAL in late 2019, he quit the six-month SEAL qualification training course in Coronado, California after just five days. Wah, wah. More than 400 sailors from 16 nearby ships fought the fire at the Bonham Shard. It took four days to be put out. So Seaman Mays was confined in a Navy brig from late August to approximately mid-October of 2020. Um, Let me see. His lawyer said uh, that he voluntarily quit the SEAL program and hoped to re-enter training in the future. Mm. Uh, Let's see here. What else about this guy? I'm just looking here. Uh, I, I didn't go through, well, there's not, there's not really a lot more, but I, I did see a few people saying the evidence against him is not very strong. So we'll kind of have to keep an eye on that. All right. Uh, and what else? Let's go to, I want to go to, where's the one I want to get? Well, let's go to this, you guys. This was, this is fun. <laughs> so many of you sent me this. Transgender city councilwoman confronts Aberdeen store owner over controversial sign. Yeah, you guys have all seen this video by now. But I promised my kidney donor, Scott, who lives in Aberdeen, by the way, former PJ, former combat controller, that I would play the audio on this because that's where he lives. 
And this was a confrontation caught on video. And this is Councilwoman Tiesa Meskis, who identifies as transgender, and she confronted the owner of a Star Wars memorabilia store over a sign posted in the store. The sign, written by store owner Don Sucher, this is the owner of Sucher and Sons Star Wars Shop, read, quote, if you are born with a dick, you are not a chick. So they started to get into it. So without further ado, let us play this confrontation on video. And here it goes. Here we go. Okay, now there's there's part one. I debate on, well, I might as well play part two. Here's a little bit more from this. People are thinking you are fucking nuts. You know what? That's great. Because I'm living me. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. Trans women are Just women. don't live it around me. Trans women are oh, women. Jesus Christ, man. You get a clue. Trans <laughs> women <laughs> are women. <laughs> Shouting out of the sidewalk, shouting. Because you know what? They're afraid they're going to hurt your fucking women are women! I'm going to be out here all the time. You do. You don't even make my sales. Okay, I'm just going to stop it there because they're outside and it's starting to get a little hard to hear. Oh, that's fine. And by the way, I should point out that the trans woman is towering over this dude. So anyway, the media fucking ran right after this guy and interviewed him. 
Uh, he says he's a Vietnam vet, and uh, he basically says, hey, I don't give a fuck about your feelings. Let's hear this uh, interview. And some people think it's hurtful. Well, he told us that this hurt. But here's the thing. I don't give a about feelings anymore. I'm 70 I'm eight. I went to Vietnam to fight for all this. Do you think I care about some feelings? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, gotta love it. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's too funny. All right, what else? Hey, an Arizona politician has been accused of seven felony charges involving sexual contact with two teenagers. That's good stuff. A good liberal. And this is Arizona State Senator Otoniel Tony Navarrete. And yeah, this would add up to a minimum of 49 years in prison if he gets convicted. He is a Democrat of Phoenix. Uh, his colleagues in the House and Senate have called on him to resign. He was arrested this week after Phoenix police received a complaint about allegations of incidents involving sexual conduct starting in 2019. Uh, in a recorded call monitored by police, Navarrete, 35 years old, acknowledged touching the victim's penis and performing oral sex on the youth multiple times over several years. God. He told the youth he regretted his actions, knew they were wrong, and repeatedly told the youth that the young man was not at fault for any of the inner actions. Um, oh, the victim was listening in on this phone call. The victim is now age 16, and he decided to... Um, oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. The youth called Navarrete and the police were listening in. Okay, that's what happened. So in this phone call, the victim, the 16-year-old victim, confronted Navarrete asking why he touched his penis. Navarrete told him he was not well. <laughs> so you wanted to touch us, just say it, because I wanted it. In another alleged incident, Navarrete reached under the shorts and touched the upper thigh of another teenager who swatted his hand away. They did arrest him at his home Without incident, he was in custody and attended remotely at his initial court appearance. Wow. And, uh, yeah, all every single uh, Democrat in the House has called for his resignation, including the state legislature's LGBTQ caucus. Yep. Not good. Not good, Navarrete. He sounds like he's going away. Okay. Let's see here. Let's keep going around the town. And, uh, well, shoot, I got to talk about uh, the Love Gov. Let's talk about Andrew Cuomo. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, he's in big trouble. That's right. He is being now investigated for that sexual harassment. Of course, well, the investigation is concluded, and they said, yes, he has uh, sexually harassed uh, many women. As a matter of fact, let me just start by playing this clip from the state attorney general, and this is, uh, I believe, it's not on this tweet, but it's Letitia James, I believe her name is. So here she is announcing the results of the investigation. So let's hear this. The independent investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching 
and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment for women. The investigators independently corroborated and substantiated these facts through interviews and evidence, including contemporaneous notes and communications. This evidence will be made available to the public along with the report. Okay, so that's basically what she now. Now, I, I read through some of the indictment, and I will say some of it is a little overblown. Like stuff like him telling a nurse who was giving him a COVID swab, he was like, oh, you make that uh, hospital gown look good. I mean, really? Is that like criminal? It's, it's, uh, it's crude and uncouth. I don't know, though. Some, but the other stuff was bad. Like, he was groping people. Now, that's obviously a, like a sexual assault. So, And you heard her say he broke laws. So is he going to be tried criminally? Now, he's fighting back. One day after the news broke that a woman who was accused Cuomo of groping her breast and filed a formal criminal complaint against him, his lawyers have responded with their most detailed defense of the governor yet, and they have sought to cast doubt on key parts of the woman's story. Uh, the governor's personal lawyer, Rita Glavin, suggested that this woman, who's an executive assistant who has not been named, was not alone with Cuomo at the executive mansion on the day in question, was sent there for different reasons than she has said, and had expressed no qualms about the day in emails to colleagues. And they're also questioning the fairness of a report released this week by that New York State Attorney General, Letitia James. See, there it is. Got the steel trap mind, you guys. It's, fu- it's unrusty now. It's oiled, fully lubed. And they're questioning it, saying, uh, you know, this, uh, uh, what about the impartiality of the investigators who have done this? So, so far, there are 11 women whose accounts have been corroborated by a mountain of evidence, and that's according to the spokesperson for the attorney general. Calls for Mr. Cuomo to resign have escalated. 42 of the state's 62 Democratic county chairs asked him in a statement to leave office. And he's also facing the threat of impeachment in the state assembly. All right. I love this. This is great. I'm, a, I'm for anything that gets a politician out of office. Now, this is funny. Here, I'm going to play this clip. Here's Andrew Cuomo in 2018 explaining how disgusted he was by the uh, whole Brett Kavanaugh situation. And I, and I want to hear how re- self-righteous and angry he sounds. This is going to be fun. I think the way they are handling it is disgusting. I think for Senator McConnell to get up and say, we are going to confirm Kavanaugh, just showed what a sham and a mockery the entire process is. You haven't started the hearings. How can you stand there and say, we're going to confirm the man? We haven't started the hearings, and the hearings are supposed to discuss facts, and we have very serious accusations, and the witnesses are going to come in, and they're going to be questioned by an independent counsel. But that's all baloney, because I know the conclusion, and the conclusion is we are going to, uh, we're going to uh, endorse him and confirm him. There is a disrespect for women <laughs> that this administration chronically uh, exemplifies. Okay, yeah, there you go. Disrespect for women. That's that's funny. 
Now, here he is. Now, Cuomo responded to this by playing a slideshow of him touching and kissing many, many people in defense. And he's like, hey, I'm Italian. I kiss a lot of people. So let's hear this. I do it with everyone. Black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, (laughs) powerful people, friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street. After the event, the woman told the press that she took offense at the gesture. And for that, I apologize. Another woman stated that I kissed her on the forehead at our Christmas party and that I said, ciao, Bella. Now, I don't remember doing it, but I'm sure that I did. I do kiss people on the forehead. I do kiss people on the cheek. I do kiss people on the hand. I do embrace people. I do hug people, men and women. I do on occasion say, ciao, Bella. All right, let's just stop him there and go on. Uh, it was funny because I, I had the I forgot to add this to the stack, but there was a phone call recorded of him actually singing this uh, song to this chick, and it was funny because in the in the sworn testimony he said, "No, I don't even know the I don't I've never even heard of that song. I've never even uh, I don't I wouldn't even know the lyrics to it." And then she came out with a tape that she phone she recorded a phone call of him singing the song to her. Pretty funny. Now here's a throwback because. They asked Joe Biden a long time ago if Cuomo should resign. So let's hear this from ABC News. Cuomo of New York. I know you said you want the investigation to continue. If the investigation confirms the claims of the women, should he resign? Yes. I think he'd probably end up being prosecuted, too. Okay. So you heard Sleepy Joe. So they asked him. Same thing right now. And uh, to his credit, he's stuck by his guns. Here we go. You on coronavirus, but first I'd like to start with the news of the day. Given back in March, you said that if the investigation confirmed the allegations against Governor Cuomo, then he should resign. So, will you now call on him to resign, given the investigator said the 11 women were credible? I stand by that statement. Are you now calling on him to resign? Yes. Okay. Good for you, Sleepy. Yes, yes. Impeach and remove from office. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's move on. So that's that. Let's go to this Pentagon attack where the police officer was killed. It was a Pentagon police officer. This was uh, Officer George Gonzalez, 37 years old, and he's an Army vet as well. He was stabbed to death uh, by a man who had just gotten off a bus at the Pentagon Transit Center. The FBI has identified the attacker as Austin William Lance of Asworth. Asworth. <laughs> Ackworth, maybe? A-C-W-O-R-D-H, Georgia. And following the attack, Lance, 27 years old, then shot himself with the police officer's service weapon. And then additional police officers engaged Lance, and he did die at the scene. A civilian bystander was also injured during the attack, but since has been released. Um, by the way, Lance briefly served in the Marine Corps, uh, basically, he didn't make it through boot camp. He enlisted on October 9th, 2012. He was administratively separated on November 2nd, 2012. So, yeah, he never graduated boot camp. Fucking loser. And 
Gonzalez served in field artillery on active duty from 2003 to 2005, including an 11-month deployment to Iraq. And uh, other than that, they're being pretty tight-lipped about this. And my, I did notice that in another story, they said that Lands was uh, last known to be from Ackworth, Georgia, which triggers in my brain, that means he's a vagrant. So anytime I see somebody stabbed in a transit center, I'm automatically thinking vagrant. And until I hear otherwise, that's what I'm going to assume this one is as well. Uh, let's see. Let's go to this one. Remember last week, I think I told you about the guy who beheaded somebody in um, uh, Minnesota. And it was caught on video, by the way. That was 42-year-old Alexis Sabret Viltrez. He beheaded a woman in Shakopee, Minnesota last week. Well, it turns out he's an illegal alien from Cuba. That's right. He's a citizen of Cuba who is unlawfully present in the United States. Um, and they did also confirm he has a criminal history, including multiple convictions in Minnesota and Louisiana for domestic abuse, DUI, and fleeing a police officer. And get this, he fucking was never deported. Unbelievable. First degree, I'm sorry, domestic violence and DUI, and he doesn't get deported. Why is that? Oh, because those states are probably sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. Isn't that awesome? So this poor woman gets beheaded. Oh, uh, that's great. And the woman was 55-year-old. America Mafalda Thayer. He used a machete to execute the victim in a car in the middle of a residential intersection, a gruesome display that was witnessed and filmed by multiple bystanders. And yes, I did see the video. Uh, let's see. Speaking of horrible, gruesome crimes, a Lutheran priest in Denmark has been sentenced to 15 years in prison for killing his wife and dissolving her body in acid which he saw on an episode of Breaking Bad, by the way. 44-year-old Thomas Gotard admitted during a closed-door hearing that he killed his wife, Maria Jacobson, 43, amid marital strife and a relationship he started with another woman. And yes, he maintained his innocence until last month. And so what he did, he hit her in the back of the head with a rock, and then he decided to dispose of his partner's body in acid in a 54-gallon feed barrel. Yeah, he kept his wife's body in a locked shed inside the barrel for one night before moving it to an abandoned country estate. He then doused her body in nearly 12 gallons of hydrochloric acid and 13 pounds of caustic soda to dissolve her corpse. But then the barrel ended up being too heavy to move. So then he split up her remains into two smaller barrels, which he buried and later disinterred to cut up her remaining body parts into smaller pieces. And then he burned and buried the remaining bones. Jesus. Um, when she disappeared last October, he had told investigators at the time she had left their home while depressed. Three weeks later, he was arrested and suspended from his role as a parish priest. And then he was charged with murder after investigators found hydrochloric acid and caustic soda in their home. Oh, this is funny. As well as internet searches on their computer for terms like, quote, sea depth, oil barrels, suicide, 
and cleaning, end quote. You know, over there, they have weird laws over there. Prosecutors had sought the maximum 15-year sentence that he faced. 15 years, that's all you get for killing your wife and then dissolving her body in acid? Okay. Weird. Okay, let's keep going here. I have, I'm just uh, scrolling through my many videos that I still have. Um, let's go to this one. You guys know, I, um, jeez. Let's go to this, where is this? Portland, Oregon. A man was arrested and charged with public indecency Sunday after having been caught masturbating while looking through the bedroom window of two toddlers. Oh, my God. So somebody called the cops. They found 30-year-old Daniel Stevens sitting in his car without pants or underwear. (laughs) Police said Stevens admitted to masturbating in the apartment complex's parking lot. Oh, no. Deputies said the parents recognized Stevens as having delivered pizza to their home months ago. Oh, my God. So this guy delivers a couple of pizzas, sees the toddlers, and it's fucking in his brain from then on. He's like, dude, I got a fucking jacket to that. Wow. 30 years old, jacket in a parking lot as a pizza delivery driver. You really carved out a good life for yourself, bro. Uh, And speaking of uh, gross stuff, how about this headline? YouTube transgender star Chris Chan, 39 years old, has been arrested on incest charges after raping his 79-year-old dementia-suffering mother. Wow. That's from the Daily Mail. Of course, the Daily Mail is still woke. They give her pronouns, but you guys know my policy. Pronouns on a case-by-case basis. This fuck doesn't get pronouns. Chandler was arrested after a phone call recording was leaked online in which he allegedly confessed to having sex with his mother. He is a big YouTube personality. Apparently, he's got quite a following. Uh, He goes by the name Christine Weston Chandler, and he was booked into the county jail in Virginia on a felony count of incest, which is punishable by up to 12 years in prison. And the sheriff did confirm that. Chandler has lived with his 79-year-old mother, Barbara, in Ruckersville, Virginia, for many years. Uh, And uh, his YouTube channel has more than 50,000 subscribers. I guess that's kind of a good amount. Yeah. Imagine trying to explain to your, like, great-great-grandfather on, like, that headline alone. That's great. What a country. Uh, You guys also know I really love the stories where the guys who get caught uh, masturbating in public, like, try to explain themselves. Um, here's one guy over in the UK. Oh, you're going to make me subscribe to read it. Well, luckily I I went off uh, my memory here. Uh, but this guy was arrested for a public sex act, which pleasuring himself. And this time he blamed his loose fitting trousers and told cops he was just trying to adjust them. (laughs) I love the excuses. If you guys don't know already, if you find a story about a guy jacking it in public and he's got a good excuse in there, that's going right to the top. Uh, I put this one out on Twitter. This one, a woman has died in Arizona 24 hours after abandoning a hike with a cop she'd met for the first time following two months of chatting online. 
This is Angela Tremonte, 31 years old. Good-looking chick, too. And she was discovered off the trail of Camelback Mountain in Phoenix, Arizona. She had traveled to meet police officer Dario Dizdar, whom she had been speaking to on Instagram for two months. So they had gone for a walk up the mountain, but Tremonte turned around halfway up there. This guy, Dizdar, decides to keep going. So he leaves her, and then he couldn't find her in a parking lot. So rescue teams were dispatched, and they discovered the victim's body near a home. I guess she was, like, trying to get help. But she had left her home in Massachusetts to meet this guy in Phoenix. Uh, she had complained to the police officer that she was exhausted and could not continue. And then he decides, well, once you go back, I'm just going to fucking keep going. God. Bro. Oh, here's a picture of the cop, too. He looks like the type of guy who would do that. Uh, she didn't have any water with her. And the temperatures were 104 degrees. Yeah, stop with the, what, like I said on Twitter, stop with the hiking. Like, what are you doing, dude? Especially like, uh, is a, she's good looking. There's more pictures over here at the Daily Mail. Yeah, it's not good. And why didn't you call 911? Tremonti's cell phone was found on her when she was discovered. Like, dude, call a fucking, call an ambulance. Yeah, don't do this, ladies and guys. You know, when you're trying to meet a new chick, don't suggest hiking, like, as a first thing you do. Be an adult. Go out for, like, a nice dinner, a couple drinks. <laughs> I mean, really? I love guys who do that. Like, yeah, let's go on a death march in the desert, 104 degrees. Let's fucking do that. That'll be fun. What are you doing, dude? Just some friendly advice. Uh, let's see. Let's go to a few other international stories here. Uh, let's talk about the Butcher of Tehran. Who is that? That is the new president of Iran. And this is Ebrahim uh, Raisi. He has been inaugurated as president of Iran. He is replacing Hassan Rouhani. He's 60 years old. He's known as the Butcher of Tehran for the deadly political purge in 1988. Um, he vows to tackle the oppressive United States. Uh, what else about this guy? His first priority, according to him, is to haul Iran out of their dire economic status brought on by the pandemic and those international sanctions over their breaching of the nuclear deal. He, by the way, has been personally sanctioned over human rights abuses. Um... He was the Deputy Prosecutor General of Tehran in 1988. That is a year that is notorious for the execution of thousands of political prisoners over a five-month period. Children as young as 13 years old were hanged from cranes six at a time. Pregnant women were tortured and killed, while there were various reports of rapes of both male and female detainees. Ugh. This purge that they had is believed to be without precedent in modern political history, both in terms of its scope and to the extent which has been covered up. Uh, they said, according to Amnesty International, they said there were at least 5,000 executions during this. Other historians put the death toll at 30,000. So if you want to know what kind of fucking nut is going to run Iran for the next, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so, there you go. I wanted to talk, you know, earlier this week I went on the Jesse Kelly show 
uh, I was glad to shout out to him for having me on. And he's now nationally syndicated with like 200 stations. So of course, anytime he asks, I'm glad to come on. And I wanted to talk, and I we talked extensively about this story in the Navy. The Navy is going to go back to using photos for promotions. And this is too fucking funny. Because they got rid of the photos because they wanted to increase diversity. And they thought, hey, without a photo, all we have is the guy's record, right? We don't know if it's a, a black or a white or a, a Hispanic. We don't know what who they are. So we're just going to go by their pure record. And that way we can eliminate any unconscious bias in the selection process, right? Well, guess what? Going by just the record, diversity actually went down. (laughs) Former Defense Secretary Mark Esper directed all services in July 2020 to eliminate photos from promotion and selection boards to support diversity, right? So it it went down when they went off just the record. How funny is that? So now they want to bring him back. And then... This fucking goof, Esper, he's, he actually said this out loud. He said, quote, it's a meritocracy. We're only going to pick the best of the best, but we're very clear with our language to boards that we want them to consider diversity across all areas, end quote. In other words, it's not a meritocracy. In other words, skin color is going to matter, which means it's not a fucking meritocracy, you goofball. The Marine Corps is also looking at reinstating the photos. Uh, Brigadier General A.T. Williamson of the Marine Corps, he said this, he said, quote, there are elements of the photo that are very helpful for us, end quote. (laughs) Yeah, like skin color. That's all they fucking care about. You'd that the the the, removing the photos, I agreed with. I'm like, yeah, it should be it should be just going by the record, so you don't see anybody's face. That way, you avoid both. You you avoid like maybe some racist white guy saying, well, I'm only going to pick white guys, and you avoid the woke fucking generals who want to promote black guys, even though their records suck. So it's a win win, right? So it totally backfired them, and now they're going back to the photos because they want to promote by skin color. That's the story. Fucking joke. So there we go. We ha- we know that the military is no longer a meritocracy. It hasn't been for a long time, but there's just more confirmation for it. Uh, let's see. Speaking of the military, I put this one out of Twitter. Uh, the United States Army has granted its first ever religious exemption to a Christian soldier to allow him to keep his beard and grow his hair long. Sergeant Jacob DiPietro is thought to be the first Christian in the U.S. Army to receive a religious exemption. He is a follower of the Nazarite vow, which says that no razor may be used on their head and forbids alcohol consumption. (laughs) DiPietro joined the Army in 2010, but he did not seek to pursue that faith until 2017. So then in 2019, he applied for the exemption, but it languished in bureaucracy for two years. Uh, other people who have re- received religious hair exemptions have been Sikhs, uh, Muslim, and even a Norse pagan service member. This is funny. So he finally gets his wish, but DiPietro thought it took too long, so now he's planning on leaving next year when this contract was up. God. I think one of you guys told me, uh, what is it, that uh, Samson was a Nazarene? In the New Testament, John the Baptist and Paul are known to have taken a Nazarite vow. 
but yeah, I'm not sure if it was Samson. One of you guys told me I can't remember. So, hey, if you guys want to grow beards, just uh, join the Nazarene movement. Okay, let's see here. Dozens have been killed in a fuel truck accident in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The fuel truck collided with a crowded bus near the Kabuba village, about 80 kilometers from the capital of Kinshasa. Yep, 33 people killed in that collision. The victims were engulfed by a huge fire sparked by the collision. Bodies were destroyed by the flames, and uh, yeah, deadly road accidents are frequent in the DRC. An oil tanker accident in October 2018 killed 53 people along another main road into Kinshasa. And then in 2010, at least 230 people were burned to death when a tanker truck overturned. You guys know I've done a few of those stories, especially those tanker trucks. What happens is they'll overturn and a bunch of people run over with containers to get free gas and then the fucking truck blows up. That's why the numbers are so humongous there. Okay. Let's go to the border. Promise you guys some border stuff. And let's start with our more staggering numbers. The number of migrants stopped at the U.S.-Mexican border in July surpasses 200,000, has reached a 20-year high. It's only getting higher and higher. 210,000 to be exact. Meanwhile, the number of children, the unaccompanied migrant children, that reached an all-time high. More than 19,000 unaccompanied minors in July alone. With those numbers, apprehensions have topped 1 million so far in the year 2021. There were 40,000 apprehensions in July of 2020 and 81,000 in July of 2019. Now we're over 200,000. God. It's never ending. And where's Kamala Harris? Anybody going to ask her? The borders are? Anybody going to ask her about this? No? Okay. Yeah. Fucking, this is what you get. Wide open borders. I told you this before the election. <laughs> I told you this after the election. But... That's it. And meanwhile, the governors who want to do something about it, they can't do anything. A federal judge has blocked Texas Governor Greg Abbott from his policies. What he was doing is uh, trying to stop state troopers. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Abbott basically ordered troopers to block any non-law enforcement vehicle believed to be carrying migrants away from the border area. That would have still allowed Border Patrol and ICE employees to shuttle migrants around, but would have stopped the network of contractors and non-governmental organizations on which Homeland Security is relying to get migrants deeper into the U.S. to operate. Now, the judge has put a stop to us. This is uh, Judge Kathleen Cardone said Texas was interfering with the way the federal government wanted to carry out its immigration policy. Well, they're already across the border, so why doesn't he have the authority? This is just basically legalized human smuggling. That's all it is. And uh, this is not seasonal. Let's go to a report from MSNBC and uh, listen to this. Despite scorching summer heat, the record migrant surge is growing. 210,000 apprehensions by Border Patrol in July, a more than 20-year high, and 19,000 unaccompanied children were picked up, the largest number ever recorded. 
Here in the Del Rio sector, officials say hundreds of migrants have been packed under this bridge and they're worried about the spread of COVID. ICE is now stepping in to provide tests and even offer vaccines. And in the Rio Grande Valley, we saw a massive group of migrants kept under a bridge by those trees. Is this a breakdown of the system? This is not seasonal. I do think that uh, what we're dealing with is much different than what we've dealt with in the past. Border Deputy Patrol Border guy. Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz telling us the Biden administration is now deporting more families who don't qualify for asylum. Friday, uh, we had our first flight of Central Americans and Northern Triangle countries uh, back to Central America. And these are family units. We met one-year-old Anja. Okay, I'll just stop it there. I don't want to hear about one-year-old Anja. The good part is that so far the Biden administration is holding tight on that Title 42. That's the COVID. Um, that's the the COVID era restriction that Trump put into place that allows us to quickly turn back migrants immediately because of the spread of COVID. So that's good, but we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, let's see. Let's keep going here. Authorities are investigating an attempted molestation of a horse in Tallahassee. <laughs> Leave the horses alone. Wow. Yep, this happened in uh, Tallahassee, and uh, a former a farm manager arrived around 7 a.m. who begins her day by feeding horses that are stabled in two barns. When she got to the last horse, named Lexington, she realized his head was not over the stall door waiting to be fed like most mornings. Well, she noticed that Lexington's head and neck were tied to the stall by a rope. She rounded the corner and startled a middle-aged white man behind the horse standing on an overturned bucket. The horse's back legs had also been bound. <laughs> he jumped down and crawled to the barn door as Bacon... Scre- Bacon is the name of the, the uh, farm manager. As Bacon screamed at him. Well, he was able to get away, and she called police. Um, with And then, get this... So the, the cops came, you know, they were doing an investigation. So like an hour later, this bacon chick, the farm manager, she went to the other end of the 37 acre property where she saw the same dude in another stable with another horse. <laughs> uh, he hid behind a tree and then escaped through the board fence surrounding the property. Wow. This dude, how desperate are you, dude? Like, you get caught once, and you, the urge, though, is still there so powerfully that you're like, no, no, I can't fucking leave until I get a piece of this. And then, meanwhile, here was a new bit of information. Speaking of uh, animal molestation, remember that Florida veterinarian? Been covering him a few times, the 40-year-old guy who's been pleading guilty to sexually abusing the dogs he was taking care of? Here's what I didn't know. Not only was he was he banging the dogs... It turns out he was also in possession of more than 1,600 files of child porn, and he also made those crush videos. What are crush videos? That's when you torture and trample small animals to death. Oh, my God, dude. Yep. That's that's been illegal for some time uh, now. And I'm just... Is there... Anything more in this crush video stuff? Yeah, he's still going through the uh, whole court procedure. But yeah, he had all kinds of videos of himself. And he looks like he's a black dude, right? And he looks like fit, normal, 
handsome guy. He's not one of these like schlubs. He's successful career veterinarian. He's a doctor. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, nothing on the more crush videos though. By the way, the um, that law, the crush video stuff, that was called that was part of the Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Act. That was signed into law by President Donald Trump in 2019. It makes the production of torture videos punishable by up to seven years in prison. So along with everything else, he's got that. Okay, uh, a couple of you guys sent me this. Well, let, let's let's start with this one. I got a couple landmark stories for you. First of all, a fake totem pole has been removed from a Tacoma park in Washington. <laughs> this is too funny. This totem pole has stood at Fireman's Park in Tacoma for more than 100 years. But they don't think it's authentic now. They said that the pole is not believed to have been carved by tribal members. The pole did not come from any Western Washington tribes, they say. But they did say because it's not totally authentic. This is a big fucking totem pole. I'm, I'm looking at it. It's huge. This must be like 100 feet high plus. They have voted to remove the totem pole because uh, they don't think it was done by any of the local tribes. And, of course, they find some wiener white liberal. I'm just guessing. There's not a picture of this guy. I'm guessing it's a white liberal from the Tacoma Historical Society. And he said, quote, we don't want to continue to perpetuate harm by having a totem pole in a public space, end quote. Yeah, it's very dangerous. And then our other landmark story is the University of Wisconsin has moved a rock seen as a symbol of racism. The quotes in his story by ABC are great. This was Chamberlain Rock. It was named after Thomas Chamberlain, a geologist and former university president. Students of color on campus say the rock represents a history of discrimination. The boulder was referred to as a derogatory name for black people in a Wisconsin State Journal story in 1925. And yes, ABC News is too delicate to read that, so I will in a moment. But the derogatory term was commonly used in the 1920s to describe any large dark rock. So because of that, they had to move this boulder. And um, it, they think this boulder is over 2 billion years old. But the Black Student Union led the call to remove the rock, so they got rid of it this week. And this is a great quote. A senior on campus named Juliana Bennett, she said, quote, This moment is about the students, past and present, that relentlessly advocated for the removal of the Tereteth Monument. Now is a moment for all of us BIPOC students to breathe a sigh of relief, to be proud of our endurance, and to begin healing, end quote. BIPOC, if you didn't know, stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. A, a, a rock? You were that fucking devastated over a rock that you now now you can begin healing? <laughs> so here is the Wisconsin State Journal's original article on the Chamberlain Rock. This is written in 1925. I'm going to read it from the quote. If you're delicate about racial slurs, avert your ears, because I'm going to read, I'm going to quote the story directly. And the story begins thusly, quote, the big boulder on Observatory Hill, which is the largest of its kind in the immediate vicinity of Madison, is now out where folks can look at it. For centuries, the huge granite nigger head, partly visible, has been lying there on the hill just along the cinder drive, end quote. 
Okay, and like I said, they use that term to refer to any large dark boulder. Okay. Well, I got a few of the uh, genderized videos from you guys. I know you guys love all these uh, audio clips that I play. So let's start with... Let me get to a, one, the one I really wanted. Here's a lady saying that you need to face the consequences for your colonizing ancestors' actions. All right, let's see. This one's for all the people who get offended by being called colonizers. So if that's not you, you can keep scrolling. The rest of you, I don't ever want to see or hear you ever again say that you shouldn't face the consequences for what your ancestors did. You should, because in this exact moment, you're benefiting off of a system that was built by your ancestors because of what they did. Huh. At the same moment, natives like myself and even younger generations are still feeling the repercussions of what your ancestors did. No, you aren't. So do not, I repeat, do not come onto my page or any other native's page and say that you shouldn't face the consequences of what your ancestors did, because that is complete. BS. Okay, you heard her. Now, I'm curious. I would like to ask her if she should face the consequences for her native ancestors who would fight other native tribes, often quite brutally. You know, scalping and the whatnot. But, of course, that's different, and uh, I should just shut up about that. Uh, let's see what else. Here is a lady saying that gender is a socially constructed caste system, and she's pretty good-looking, too. Let's hear what she has Gender to say. is a cultural construct, specifically a culturally constructed caste system designed to oppress women and benefit men. Woman is not a feeling. I don't feel like in anything. It's a social class determined by your material condition in a patriarchal society. <laughs> Cis women have their reproductive organs regulated by government legislation with abortion bans and birth control restrictions. Both cis and trans women are systemically raped, sex trafficked, fetishized in porn, and abused by their male partners. Men, on the other hand, literally run the fucking world. Yes. They own the vast majority of wealth, land, yeah. yes. industries, enterprises, and political power. Yes. The reason men commit crimes like rape and domestic violence on a structural level is not because of their DNA, but because of gendered socialization. And it's important for women to examine the ways that we've been socialized as well. Why do we feel ugly when we don't wear makeup or shave? Why do we fake <laughs> orgasms during sex, prioritizing our partner's ego over our own comfort or pleasure? Why do we constantly apologize for just existing? Uh, you get the idea. Now, for the record, ladies, don't fake an orgasm. Tell your man, hey, make me fucking come, goddammit. Okay, so don't fake it. Tell him. You got to tell him. And if you don't tell him, they won't know. Uh, let's see. What else do I have? Here is a fifth grade lunatic teacher showing off how he teaches students about non-binary pronouns through an alpaca puppet. Oh, this should be fucking hilarious. Let's listen hey y'all, let me introduce you to our non-binary alpaca. The kids voted on a gender neutral name, Alex, for them. Alex was there to help me during the really quiet moments when nobody would talk during virtual learning. Yes, they were so quiet. But then I also took it as an opportunity to teach my students about how to respect people's pronouns. Did Alex ever get misgendered? Yes. But then it opened up some teachable moments about what to do when that would happen. For example, hey, Mr. Wong, did he just wake up from his nap? Oh, do you mean did they wake up from their nap? Yeah, they just did. I would apologize quickly, make the correction, and move on. I started off modeling how to correct somebody, and then afterwards my students would correct each other whenever somebody would misgender Alex here. Representation in the classroom matters. Wow, there's some fucking good propaganda. I guess they've mastered English and reading at that guy's school, huh? All right, cool. Now we got time for a bunch of like, just shit. Um, let me see. Do I have any more? 
Uh, okay, I don't even know what this... I love how these people speak with such authority on TikTok, too. Like, most of them are, like, you know, probably 19, 20 years old, and they, they, they talk like they've fucking been experts in this field for decades. Here is some complete lunatic, many piercings in the ears, the nose, eyebrows, everything else, and I don't even know what the fuck they are even talking about in this. See if you can decipher this I made stuff. a really loud, yelly video about this, but I decided I will approach this in a more calm but stern manner. A lot of the people using kitty and pup and bunny self pronouns are neurodivergent minors. Huh? It is a very common neurodivergent experience to feel a disconnect from being human mm -hmm. and from from the societal expectation of the gender you were assigned to birth. So when you have this intersection of feeling a disconnect from being human and a disconnect from the societal expectation of gender, whether you're neurodivergent or not, a lot of people have this experience who are neurodivergent. It's just very common oh, with geez. neurodivergent people. When this intersects, you get noun self pronouns and animal noun self pronouns. What? If you are not comfortable using someone's pronouns because you assume it's kink for some weird ass reason, don't interact with them and just shut up about it. Okay, uh, I have one question, uh, miss. Do you enjoy penis? Yes or no? That's all I want to know. Uh, here is an African-American woman, quite portly. And she's going to say how all of you uh, white liberals, basically don't be surprised when your uh, black friends stop talking to you. This would be funny. Dear white allies, white accomplices, woke white people, white people who are putting in the work to dismantle white supremacy. Listen. Do not be surprised when and if your black and indigenous friends pull away from you even when you haven't done anything wrong. Hmm. As a matter of fact, accept it and expect it. Every other day, a white ally or accomplice gets outed for their closeted and secret racism. Uh -huh. And we are just tired. Hmm. So there are going to be times and moments when we pull away from all white people because we don't need to be around any of you to save our sanity. And you just need to shut the fuck up and accept it. We're going to ghost you. We may or may not be back. Continue to do your work. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that's she seems really ungrateful, huh? I don't know. All right. Uh, let's see how, time, how much time we have. All right. Quickly, let's see what else I got here. I want to make sure I don't miss any of the good ones. Uh, let's go to this. The band The Offspring. The drummer's been kicked out. Pete Parada uh, has been kicked out because he said he would not agree to get the COVID-19 vaccination. He's been replaced on the upcoming tour, and he's been told not to show up at the studio either. He does claim to have a legitimate medical reason for not getting uh, injected. He says he's had lifelong a lifelong history with uh, how do you pronounce this again? Guillain-Barre syndrome. It puts him at greater risk for side effects from a vaccination. But the band basically. Uh, Kicked him out. And remember, the Offspring's frontman, Dexter Holland, uh, he's a uh, quite a smart guy. He got his Ph.D. in molecular biology from the University of Southern California, so you know he's uh, all about the science stuff. 
but if he's all about the science stuff, you'd think he'd say, like, well, maybe this guy has a pre-existing condition. I don't know. An NYPD employee believes that a DoorDash driver's sick video was payback on the police. Melissa George had not long finished her $19 Chipotle burrito bowl when a colleague at the 61st precinct of the NYPD showed her a video of the delivery guy, Lance Lane, putting his genitals into her burrito. That's right. He wrote on a note captioning the clip, quote, hope that dick tastes good, bitch. You know, I'm about to violate the shit out of this order, 61st Precinct, end quote. And you know, you know and, and she's an African-American woman, too. That's nice. She had ate the whole thing. She was so alarmed that she bolted to an emergency room for tests. That is so gross, dude. She's just an administrative aide. Poor chick. Oh, by the way, the Lance Lane, the DoorDash driver, he's also a known Bloods gang member with a lengthy rap sheet who was on parole in the shooting of a police officer from 2011. That's nice. Already out, huh? Okay. Fordham University covered up rape of gay Navy student, lawsuit alleges. Uh, This former gay... I'm sorry. A gay former naval training student was allegedly attacked by the son of a high-ranking military official. 30-year-old Francis Austin claims his closeted homosexual roommate, whose father was a, quote, highly influential attorney in the U.S. military, end quote, and a Fordham alumni, anally raped him at the Bronx College while in a Naval Reserve Officers Training Corps program in February of 2011, according to this lawsuit. Austin did not immediately tell school officials about the violent sexual assault because the program at the time had the don't ask, don't tell policy, and he feared his sexuality would then be exposed. When he reported the rape the following year, faculty members and administrators allegedly mocked and scorned him, called him a liar, and failed to properly investigate. So now he's suing. Oh, he's also claiming officials also falsified documents, including an IQ test, to show that Austin had a disqualifying learning disability. Wow. Who's they name the father here? About the... About the... Uh, this, the no, they don't. They don't name the guy. Hmm. Uh, keep an eye on that. Let's see. The eviction moratorium came into effect. Yeah. The Biden administration basically said that they know this is illegal, but they're going to do it anyway. President Joe Biden has decided to implement a new eviction moratorium that replaces the moratorium that expired on Saturday. And he's hoping to basically get out a lot of money to these people and prevent them from being evicted before the landlords can sue. And the new eviction ban is scheduled now to expire on October 3rd. And this has been signed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, Forgive me for asking, but since when is the CDC allowed to make a law? Because they also put in penalties for landlords. So the CDC all of a sudden is acting like Congress. This will cover about 90% of renters nationwide. That is insane. They said one of its main aims is to buy more time to stand up the troubled emergency rental assistance program, which has thus far allocated just $3 billion of $47 billion slated by Congress. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't even know how you can uh, do that. And indeed, they asked Joe Biden about this a while ago, and he had said previously, well, the courts have already said I can't do this. So let me hear it. The answer a... is twofold. One, I've sought out constitutional scholars to determine what is the best possibility that would come from executive action or the CDC's judgment. What could they do that was most likely to pass muster constitutionally? The bulk of the constitutional scholarship says that it's not likely to pass constitutional muster. There you go. Number one. But there are several key scholars who think that it may and it's worth the effort. But the present, you could not, the courts already ruled on the present eviction moratorium. So I think what you're going to see, and I, look, I want to make it clear. I told you I would not tell the Justice Department. Okay, let me, let me stop in there because he's going to ramble on for a while. So yeah, you heard him there saying, yeah, yeah, I pretty much can't do this. So then um, they asked hapless, bumbling Jen Psaki about when he did conclude he was on solid constitutional footing. Thank you. Uh, you. You mentioned that the president is old school, and, and Steve noted that the, the president spent a significant amount of time in the Senate and is also a lawyer. Um, when, what was the moment that the president became certain that he was on solid legal uh, standing to move forward with this extension? And what was the, the argument, the specific legal argument, that won out and changed his mind? Because yesterday he seemed to be weighing the two, the two options. Well, again, as I've been discussing, the justification from the legal team is that this is a different moratorium. It's narrow. It's targeted at the highest, at the areas highest impacted. It is not. Okay, I just said it's going to cover 90% of the renters plus nationwide. How is that narrow or targeted? What is she talking about? Oh, and so this came about because uh, that goofball uh, Congresswoman Cory Bush went and camped out on the foot of Congress in protest. And so then they were asking her about this, and they also asked her about the uh, her belief to defund the police. And this clip was going around because she was basically saying, well, I need security, but I still want to defund the police. This should be funny. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety. Now. Okay, yeah, okay, sure. So wait a minute. So she gets, first of all, there's been attempts on her life. I haven't seen any of those in the news. I'd like to hear more about that. And second of all, $200,000 for private security, is that coming out of her salary or who's paying for that? I'd really like to know that one. All right, guys, I'm starting to run out of time here, so I have to quickly go through some headlines. Uh, Barack Obama is scaling back his 60th birthday party. Originally, he wanted 700-plus guests, but now... Uh, He's going to scale back his 60th birthday party scheduled for Martha's Vineyard. I think it's going on right now, actually. Hundreds of former Obama administration officials, celebrities, and donors have been planning to attend the party at Obama's Martha's Vineyard mansion. That's so funny. It's Isn't it funny how he ended up at Martha's Vineyard? Like, what's whiter in the United States than Martha's Vineyard? Like, nothing? 
Pretty much nothing. Uh, TikTok star Timbo the Timbo the Redneck is dead at the age of 18 after his truck named Big Booty uh, flipped over on him after he was doing donuts. He has 200,000 followers on TikTok. He has got uh, con- Confederate comedy videos. Well, he was doing donuts in his front yard on Saturday when his prized pickup truck named Big Booty Judy flipped, ejected him, and then landed on top of his body. (laughs) Yeah, that's Darwinism right there. Um, Let's see. What's this one? Sorry, some of these pages are slow to open right here. Let's, that one's too long to go. Um, Missouri governor has pardoned that couple who aimed the guns at the Black Lives Matter protesters. Remember them? Governor Mike Parson announced that he had pardoned Mark McCloskey and Patricia McCloskey. Remember, they felt threatened, according to them, during the June 2020 demonstrations, and they had the uh, AR-15 rifle, and she had, like, the pistol while the protesters streamed through their neighborhood, and uh, they were arrested and all kinds of other shit. I love this story. There is no preferred racial term among most Hispanic adults. How many times have I told you this, you guys? That's right. Remember, this is this has to do with the whole Latinx bullcrap. Here's the breakdown. They asked which term Hispanic per- Americans approved, uh, wanted to prefer to use. <laughs> God, sorry. They asked Hispanic Americans which term they preferred. And 23% said Hispanic. 15% said Latino. 57% said it doesn't matter. And 4% said Latinx or Latinx. I'm going to keep saying Latinx. Uh, A couple was attacked and a man killed while retrieving stolen items from Seattle homeless encampment. Yep, a couple had driven to the encampment hoping to secure items stolen from a car break-in with their two-year-old son secured in a car seat. Yeah, don't do this. And the man who drove the car told cops he got his shoes and Bluetooth speaker and he took them back to his car. Well, then they were attacked by several people in the camp. It was all on video. The driver was seen being hit in the back of the head with a five-foot wooden pole. And another man attacked the driver and smashed the windows of the car with a machete. And then a bunch of more people from the encampment joined the fight with rocks and sticks. So the driver was desperate to get away, sped through the crowd, hit and killed a man who was part of the group surrounding a car. Yep. That's what you get when you have these fucking homeless encampments. Prosecutors do not expect the couple to be charged with the death of the man. Good. Good, they shouldn't. Uh, What else? A Brooklyn jail warden, where Ghislaine Maxwell, by the way, is locked up, has been arrested after killing her husband by shooting him in the face. 44-year-old Antonia Ashford allegedly shot her husband in their home in New Jersey. She works at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Sunset Park, where Maxwell is jailed awaiting trial for those sex trafficking charges. She is being charged with murder. So you're going to join the Join the group that you take care of, huh? Um, a teacher 
who works with children at a U.S. military base in Germany, is being accused of sexually abusing young students in his classroom more than a decade ago. That's Stefan Zappi, a U.S. citizen. He was indicted by a grand jury following a year-long investigation into a former student's allegation that he touched her inappropriately multiple times during class between 2007 and 2008. She was about eight years old at the time. Ugh, gross. It never ends, these people. How about th- this? Is a th- this is like an old timey story? Man with camera strapped to his shoe accused of looking up skirts in a shopping mall. Forty year old Michael George has been arrested. Apparently, George was in front of the Bubbles drink station at the Easton Town Center Mall when he walked up to a woman and placed his foot between her legs so that the camera would see up her dress. Apparently, she told mall security they went after him. He ran off to get into his car, but security caught up with him and then saw the black camera on the front passenger seat. Oh, by the way, George also has a complaint against him for a public indecency charge in 2013. In that case... God... In that case, he had approached two girls at the Skiauto Country Club on the pretext of discussing babysitting, but George did appear to be masturbating on the outside of his pants. <laughs> he pled guilty to public indecency and received 60 days in jail, but 59 were suspended and he only served one day? Come on! What is going on here? One day for pleasuring yourself in front of two teenage girls. I mean, it was the outside of the pants. It wasn't over the pants, HJ, but still, it's a lot. Uh, Come on. And speaking of cameras, a music teacher will likely spend the rest of his life in prison after hiding cameras in his music school's bathroom and other areas to produce child pornography. Philip Close, 43 years old, was sentenced to 50 years in prison. He pled guilty to 74 charges in March, including 61 counts of production of child pornography. He owned the Close School of Music in Parma, New York. Well, during that time, he hid spy cameras throughout the school and secretly recorded the students, parents, and other teachers. Some of those cameras captured footage of Close inappropriately touching his students and himself during lessons. He also placed two cameras in the school's only bathroom. He intentionally positioned these cameras to record the naked genitals of young girls when they stood up from the toilet. Oh, God. Jeez. Oh, boy. Boy, they're obsessed with that. How, how good can the video quality be, honestly? Okay, how much more time? All right, let's keep going. A U.S. Foreign Service member has been indicted for engaging in illicit sexual conduct in the Philippines. 61-year-old Dean Cheeves was a member of the U.S. Foreign Service serving at the U.S. Embassy in the Philippines between September of 2020 and February of 2021. While he was there, he allegedly met a 16-year-old online. He engaged in sexual activity with the minor on two occasions knowing the minor's age, and, oh, by the way, he videoed himself engaging in the sex acts each time. Why do people insist on videotaping themselves committing crimes? I'll never understood that. Uh, Never will. 
Apple's iPhones will now include new tools to flag child sexual abuse. This is uh, pretty wild. Normally, they would only get this if you upload pictures to the cloud. Um, but soon, it will be able to like just scan the phone and the cloud. They will use technology to spot images of child sex abuse and child pornography that, yes, users upload to Apple's iCloud storage services, and it would also soon let parents turn on a feature that can flag when their children send or receive any nude photos in the text messages. Cybersecurity experts are concerned. They said that Apple's new features set a dangerous precedent by creating surveillance technology that law enforcement or government can exploit. Um, yeah, technologies such as smartphone cameras and cloud storage have allowed you know, child porn imagery to be more widely shared. But, you know, they're walking a, a line here. Remember when Apple refused to let the FBI break into a phone? Over terrorism? Well, now they're going the opposite way. Um, a black man who said he was threatened with a noose now faces charges himself. This kind of sounds like a fake hate crime to me. <clears throat> a community activist named Vox Booker went viral last summer because a white man was pinning him to a tree near a lake on Indiana on July 4th, and it generated national outrage. He said that the men used racial slurs and threatened to get a noose. Well, now, a prosecutor did charge two of the white men with felony battery, criminal confinement, and intimidation, but a special prosecutor has now also charged Booker himself with felony assault and misdemeanor trespassing for his role in the confrontation. So, we don't know a lot of what happened here, but... Uh, the 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 man the white men's lawyer uh, said this was not exactly what happened. Uh, they said there was no talk of a noose, no talk of a rope, no talk of lynching, no white power, and all this. And the lawyer says that Booker said he survived this near lynching, yet he stayed to video people as he race baited them. Okay, so it sounds like this is just a big group of assholes on both sides, honestly. And let's see here. Uh, UK. Hartlepool teacher banned after sex acts with boy 14 he met on Grindr. God, how many 14-year-olds are there on Grindr? Here's another one. In Ohio, a North Olmsted police officer has, indicted, has been indicted on charges that accuse him of having nude photos of a high school student, Nicholas Gorbulja, 25, faces two counts of illegal use of a minor or impaired person in nudity-oriented material in an indictment. And apparently, once a student had downloaded Grindr and sent explicit photos to someone he met on Grindr, the teen told investigators that the conversations began with the man, later identified as Gorbulja, but eventually moved to Snapchat. And he lied to the guy about his age. And, oh, Gorbulja lied to the high school kid about his age and said he was 17, too. Well, the kid sent nude pictures to the cop, so don't do that, kids, please. And finally, you guys, I am running out of time, so you know what that means. We go to the big finish, and let's go to Uganda.
where a 24-year-old man has died after he allegedly cut off his own genitals after accusing his wife of committing adultery and denying him sex. Charles Wamboga bled to death after using a machete to cut off his genitals following a disagreement with his wife over sex. And they think this is the first guy in Uganda who has committed suicide on the grounds that he could not stand a cheating wife. Oh, I'm sorry. They said this. They said he originally first took poison in an attempt to commit suicide. So that didn't work. Sorry, this is translated from something from the Ugandan language, so it's like a little hard to read. Yeah, so he first tried to poison himself. That didn't work. And so then he cut his fucking genitals off. So, yeah, the son apparently would the the man would apparently feel jealous whenever his wife spoke to any man in his presence. And yes, he did use one of the machetes he'd been using at work. He was a laborer. Cuts off his genitals and then he bled out before he could be taken to the hospital. So I really don't know what I mean, how do you think that's going to go? And by the way, the affair that he suspected his wife was having was with his own brother. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. That's no good. Guys, please don't cut off your genitals because you think your wife is she. That, what's that going to do? She's going to keep going with the other guy, and now you're dead and dickless. So probably a better idea is to get rid of her and go find a younger, hotter chick. That's just what I would say. And, guys, that's all I got for you. Please go to patreon.com. Look for BK Actual. Guys, help keep the podcast going. Whatever you can afford, buck or two a month. I have so many great patrons. I'm almost at that 400 patron mark, and I'd really like to cross over it this month. So please, if you've ever thought about it and you enjoy the podcast, please go and look for it. And also, leave me a review on iTunes, you guys. That's kind of how they rank the podcasts for Apple Podcasts is by how many reviews you have. And I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm getting like almost to like 900. So I'd like to hit a thousand before the end of the year. So please leave me a review on iTunes, make it funny, and I'll probably read it on the podcast. And please follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual and check out my Instagram at BK Actual. And guys, that is all I got. I'm going to get out of here to this beautiful San Diego day and I will see you next week. We'll be right back.